the Fourth of Mass for our Blessed Lady in the Easter season uses the for, for the Gospel uses the narrative from St. John's Gospel of Calvary. We're told by the cross of Jesus toward his mother, his mother's sister, Mary of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And then we're told that Jesus, seeing his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing next to her, said, woman, behold your son. And to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that moment, the disciple made a place for her in his home. Everything our blessed Lord did, whilst on earth, is full of mystery and full with innumerable teachings for our meditation and for our spiritual growth. And we can never ever exhaust this rich mind to which he has invited us. We as Catholics have been chosen by God, not because we have done anything special, but because he wants us to do something special for the world in which we live. In other words, we are servants who have been given a responsibility. This does not and should not make us proud. Our Lord said to his disciples, when you've done all the things commanded of you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have merely done our duty. Servants we are, yes, but also friends. I call you friends. And because we are friends, we ought to serve more faithfully, more fervently. More faithfully and more fervently. Otherwise, we'll be found to be unprofitable servants in truth. And even worse, unfaithful servants. God's most faithful servant is none other than the Blessed Virgin Mary. God entrusted to her everything that he possessed and loves and indeed is. The Father entrusted to the Virgin his most beloved son. So, in a certain sense, we can say that everything is in the hands of Mary, since he who created all things was in her womb. And she held he who created all things at her breast. Forty days after his birth, with Saint Joseph, the Virgin presented herself in the temple so that she might present her son to his father. In the temple was the priest to receive this offering. In accordance with the law, Saint Joseph would have brought the five shekels, which was the price, the ransom, for the firstborn son of his wife. Our Lady would have presented, according to the law, the lamb and a turtle dove or a pigeon. 
But if she was poor, which indeed she was, yet rich, she would present not the lamb, but two turtle doves or two pigeons. One was for the burnt offering, and the, the, which would be the lamb, and the second was for a sin offering. But because she was poor, and more, more correctly, because she was presenting the lamb, there's only need for her to offer the turtle doves or the pigeons. We're not told which. And so she was beginning to fulfill the, the law. And as she enters, who is she presenting in the temple? If not the Lord of the temple, the eternal king himself. And she, who is the mother, is the greatest indignity. So the Lord has a procession in which the Virgin brings him to the temple. She's the one who presents him to the people of Jerusalem. It's a royal procession, if we think about it. The Lamb is, of course, her son. And John the Baptist would say, Behold the Lamb of God! when the Lord himself was baptized at the Jordan. But for a moment, the Virgin presents her son. And we're told there was an old man, a prophet, who takes the child in his arms, Simeon, and he blesses God. Now you can let your servant go in peace, because you fulfill your promise, and with my own eyes I have seen your salvation. And then he turns to the mother. You see this child, he's destined to be a sign of contradiction from which you yourself will not escape because the sword will pierce your own soul. And so the cross, Calvary, is already predicted just 40 days after the birth of her son. Those 33 years our Lady would carry this prophecy in her heart, pondering, expecting at any moment its execution, because she didn't know at the time. But as she carries the child in her womb, we must not forget that she carried him above all, and first and foremost, in her heart. And it's because he was in her heart, whatever happened to him would pierce her own soul. In the intervening years, there would be many times when she would be elated, as when he was affirmed, that is, when he was recognized as the Savior, and when there were shouts and cries of gratitude for the good that he had done. But equally, she would be fearful when she heard of the plots and when she saw him being rejected by the very ones who were to receive him. The authorities, the priests, the Pharisees, the temple officials. 
But in all of this, she trusted God. She knew that God's purpose would be fulfilled in spite of human wickedness. When the fateful time came and the Lord is arrested, Our Lady knew that the hour had come. And what did she do? She went to the temple. What else could she do? After all, her son had been arrested and had been brought into the temple precincts so that he might be judged by the priests. Just as Joseph had brought the price of the the redemption, the, the redemptive price that the law required, every firstborn had to be redeemed, and Joseph brought the shekels to the temple. So there was another priest, an unfaithful priest, who brought or was given the money from the temple that he might hand over the lamb, those 30 pieces. And the Virgin was there as well. And so, as we heard in the Gospel, her son is on the cross, and she is there. But she had followed him from the temple, through the streets of Jerusalem, to Calvary, just as she had brought him through the streets of Jerusalem to the temple. Now she leads him out. She's with him. And as she stands there, no doubt recording all that had been said by Simeon and Anna, that had been said by Zechariah and Elizabeth, by all of the prophets that had written about it, she stood there. And St. John tells us she stood carrying the weight, the weight of our sins. And the Lord who had invited her to share in the redemption of the world, knowing that all was nearly complete, looks down at her and at the disciple whom he loved, that is us, and said to her, woman, Behold your children, behold your son, behold those whom I have redeemed. Behold those who are now your children, for you to intercede for, for you to nourish and to care for, for you to lead where I am going. He spoke to her first and entrusted to her this final commission he would give to his disciples another commission that they were to go out and to preach and to nations and baptize and to gather them into the church but to be gathered in meant they were to be entrusted to mary his mother who would raise us up even as she had raised up her son And then to remind us that this is his will, he said to the disciple, 
whom he loved. Behold your mother. And the disciple made a place for her in his home. This is what each and every one of us must do. And where is our home if not our hearts? And so as we contemplate on these great mysteries, on the work that has been entrusted to Our Lady and on the work entrusted to us, we must realize that we as Catholics have been given a task. It is the extension of what our Lord came to do, to save the world. To save the world from itself, from Satan, from hell. Our Lady came to us 99 years ago at Fatima. This is why we, at each Mass, we renew our consecration. We ask for the intercession of St. Joseph. We place ourselves under the protection of Our Lady. She came because she saw the very dangerous times in which we live. And any mother, seeing her children in danger, can do nothing other than to come and to offer warnings, to offer protection, to offer solutions, to give directions, advice, counsel, encouragement. And that's exactly what she did at Fatima. The tragedy is that which she has asked for, the consecration of Russia by the Pope in union of the bishops of the world has not been done. And so we see that the warnings that she had given slowly come to fruition. And even now at the 11th hour, it's just another year. We're in April, another year, and we hardly hear anything about Fatima. This should cause us sorrow. It should cause us anxiety. But it does not cause us to despair. Because also said was, they will do it. It will be late, but they will do it. And a period of peace will be given. And we will see the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. And this is most important. When asked, why was it necessary? So that when Russia is converted, the Lord responded, my church will see that it was through the intercession of Mary, my mother, and that devotion to her Immaculate Heart will be placed on par with devotion to my Sacred Heart. What can we do? What we have been doing. We continue to pray, and pray especially for our Holy Father, the Pope, that what needs to be done will be done. This morning, whilst I was, say, in my office, a thought struck me. This is the only place I know where the act of consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary is, is done every day, several times a day. But it seems to me 
that something more we can do. And I hope I'm not speaking out of turn because um, Father Jansen's the one responsible. But I feel compelled, impelled to do so. Just a year to go, in 1916, the angel appeared three times. The children were too young to remember when, but the three times would suggest that it was the spring, summer, and autumn. And then, of course, in May of 1917, Our Lady appeared. This is April. It is possible to have a novena, a monthly novena, from September to May. So we can, you can think about some special um, mass service, um, or a novena prayer for the 13th of each month beginning September. That will take us nine months into May. And in preparation for this, we should have something, some devotion in honor of the angels, especially the guardian angels, our own guardian angel, the guardian angel of our family, the guardian angel of our country, and the guardian angel of Fatima. And so we can have a tridium, the same, same thing for three months, in preparation for the novena to our Blessed Lady. That is what the angel at Fatima said, that he had come to prepare the children for the coming of Our Lady. He says, the sacred hearts of Jesus and Mary have designs of mercy upon you. And this, in fact, is what we all, at this critical juncture of human history, need. We need to understand the true meaning of divine mercy, which is nothing other than repentance. Our repenting of our sins, of our faults, of our shortcomings, of our failures, is what provokes the divine mercy. So I put this as a, as a thought, hopefully in union with the heart of, heart of Our Blessed Lady and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But as Our Lady stood at the foot of the cross and embraced us, accepted us as her children, we can be sure that she continues to do all that is in her motherly power to preserve us from the world, the flesh and the devil and to lead us safely home to her beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is Lord forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.